listening to, to the services outside of these walls. You're listening to the Burnfield Baptist Church. And this is the pastor bringing the Sunday morning message simply entitled, A Shining Disciple Worth His Salt. Matthew chapter number 5. You found your place there. We've been studying uh, together the Sermon on the Mount. We spent some weeks really digging into the Beatitudes and the introduction that Jesus gave. And as we pick up, I would like to read the Beatitudes along with where we're studying today. And in Matthew chapter number 5, the Bible records, And seeing the multitudes, he, that is Jesus, went up into a mountain. When he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Hear the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Read verse 16 out loud with me if you would. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now, Heavenly Father, I come before you and I pray that these words would accomplish what you would have them to do in our hearts and lives. Your word has a message. We could just read what Jesus said here, take it to heart, and know that we've met with you and we've heard from you. But Lord, I pray that through this message, something would would resonate within our hearts and lives, that we would yearn and desire to be all that Jesus would have us to be as we follow Him. And Father, I pray that those that are here today would be candles that would go out from here. Maybe there's things that have been going on in their life that have dimmed that light or they've, they've covered it over. Maybe there's things in their life that they're not being a saver like they should in their saltiness. Whatever might be the case, Lord, I ask for your divine grace and your help that your people would go from here with a fresh courage, with a renewed zeal to say, I want my light to shine even greater for Jesus. And if that's done, Lord, I may never know until I get to eternity what all happens from this message. But Lord, I commit that to your keeping that you would do what I cannot, and you would take your word where I cannot go, and that it would linger, and it would resonate, and it would have free course 
and the community of Burnfield and the place where we live and operate. Lord, I just ask for you to help as I preach now. Hide me behind the cross. And may Jesus' words take preeminence. And we lift up and magnify his name together. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Salt was a very valuable commodity in the ancient world. It's still valuable today. But even growing up in the South, I know a little bit of the value of salt when it comes to my cousin's meat locker. Anybody who's raised pigs or anything of that nature, if you don't have refrigeration, well, my cousin had a meat locker. It was pretty traumatic for me as a young kid to go in there, quite frankly. But I do remember they cured that pork and that ham. They cured it with salt because it's preserved. Well, salt was very valuable in the ancient world, and we understand that. It's so valuable, in fact, uh, that the Roman legions, if you study the history, history of Rome, they were often paid their wages in salt, weren't they? And this is where we get the phrase, uh, the payment was called a salarium. And that's where the expression, he's not worth his salt, comes from. Can I tell you, as I studied the New Testament, I preached through the Gospel of John, I had a message that I did entitled Secret Disciples. Think about this, uh, just for a moment. Uh, in, in one book I was reading, it was Handfuls on Purpose. Uh, this is a, a great resource, by the way, if you don't have it and you're, and you're interested in ministry, I would suggest that you get a copy of this for yourself. But in there they had an illustration called Secret Christians, and this is what it read. The microscope has revealed to man an unknown world of living animals. Microscope. We look through there, we see this world of, of uh, living animals. But God knew that they were there and had them all numbered. There may be many Christians living unseen and unknown to men. Although the microscopic eye of God discerns their living form, but how very small they are. Ye are the light of the world. That really kind of sets the tone well for what I'd like to address with Jesus' words today. These words are just as applicable for us as they were for those disciples that sat on that hillside that day. Jesus, we read together, he said, Let your light so shine. And that illustration about microscopic animals that we can see with a microscope, and, and Christians being so microscopic in their Christianity that few people even know they're there. They might be purview to God's eye, but He's the only one that really sees their light. That's a challenge, isn't it? 1951, the French philosopher skeptic Albert Camus, he was asked to address a group of French churchmen on uh, what the world expects of Christians. That was his topic. He said in part, and I quote, what the world expects of Christians is that they speak up against evil in such a way that not the slightest doubt about what they mean can exist in the heart of the simplest man. The world, listen to this now, the world expects Christians to speak out clearly and to pay up personally. Well, that was in 1951. I think he was on something. He's an atheist philosopher. He's a skeptic. And he says, that's what the world expects. Are we doing that as Christians? Are we speaking up clearly? Now, I think that fits exactly what Jesus is saying here. Because I had you read the Beatitudes with me on purpose to remind us all together that that preceded 
this passage about being salt and light. How are you going to be salt and light? If you don't get anything else from this morning, take some time this week. Go through verses 1 through 12, 3 through 12, in Matthew chapter number 5, and ask yourself, poor in spirit, merciful, meek, all of those things. Go down that list and say, Lord, just between you and God, which one of these is dimming my life? Which one of these is causing me to not be seasoning those around me like I should? Maybe, just perhaps, if you'll get serious with God in your prayer closet, in some quiet time, He just might come alongside you with His Holy Spirit and say, maybe we should focus on this area. It culminates with being persecuted for righteousness' sake. Can I tell you, that really is the climax. That is when verses 13 through 16 really are seen in the life of a believer. But you don't have verses 10 through 12, the persecution for righteousness sake, until you've been living all the others already. In other words, can God, can God see that you truly are poor in spirit? Not everybody else, no, God, because we're talking about being right with Him. Can God see you mourning over sin the way that you really should? Are you destitute before Him in a perplexed state of not knowing what to do about this crazy world with all of the sin that goes on around us and then looking at our own heart and saying, how in the world can I make it? When you're there, then you're ready for the grace of God to come in and give you that supernatural power that you need to fulfill the will of God in your life. Because you can't do it in your own strength by turning over a new leaf. Morning. As we continue down the list in Matthew chapter number 5, just be introspective. Blessed are the meek. What area have I... Lord, show me something in my life, maybe, perhaps, maybe not, yes, but maybe there's something that somebody said something and you're just grinding that axe. Can you lay it down? We visited South Dakota and the Sock Custard's battlefield up there, and we got to see the place where the phrase bury the hatchet came from. Literally, they buried the hatchet right there. It was an Indian, uh, a North American custom, I should say. The U.S. and the tribes that were at it, they said it's time to bury the hatchet. There's greater things that we need to spend our time fighting for. There's bigger battles than just dying on the hill for our own reputation. Let God take care of that. Now, this is, you know, if you're suffering for righteousness sake, if these things are not true and God knows that, He'll work it out in the end. Are you beating me? Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. So, does the Lord see you being me? Does the Lord see you mourning? Does the Lord see you poor in spirit? Does the Lord see you hungering and thirsting after righteousness? It has to be Him that sees this because the world can't even define righteousness. It's so confused about what righteousness is. Everybody has their own idea of righteousness. God has spelled out what is righteous and holy. And we as followers of Him read His book and that's where we discern righteousness. But do we yearn for that? Do we hunger for that? Does God see us hungering for that? And then as you look at verse number 7, it starts to work outward. 
Is, are these things manifesting themselves in a way that you're merciful because you understand the mercy you've gotten from God? So you're willing to exercise that towards somebody else around you that needs mercy. That's a real test. That is a real test. Blessed are the pure in heart. Do people look at your life and see a mixed motive in why you're doing what you're doing? Nothing will destroy a Christian testimony faster than somebody who's doing it for the wrong reasons. The New Testament is full of admonitions for those that are going to serve God, especially for those in the ministry that we be not greedy of filthy lucre. Uh, James tells believers across the board to be of one mind and to not be double-minded and to be able to walk with God with one mind. Is there anything else vying for your attention that maybe has won that place in your heart? It's pretty common. And it's easy, even for a Christian, to give into those things. Blessed are the peacemakers. Is there anything in your life where you can't be that peacemaker? Now we mentioned peacemakers win enemies on either sides, right? And so you, nobody's going to like you on either side of the spectrum sometimes when you have to stand up for peace because they can't understand. But if we see what God's doing, then we can be called the children of God someday. Even when the world might not understand, we are going to be a peacemaker. We're going to strive to bring peace to relationships around us. And then verses 10 through 12. When you're trying to be a peacemaker and the world doesn't understand, and whoever else is on the other side doesn't understand, you can expect verses 10 through 12. Persecuted for righteousness sake, because that's what you're hungry for. Persecuted for righteousness sake, just trying to serve God, and before you know it, there's all kinds of trouble. Jesus says, that's exactly where you need to be. I don't really want to go there. Really want can't it just be like, you know, can't we just skip all of that and just get right to the heaven part? If you're here and you're still breathing, God has a purpose for you. And if you're going to set your hand to the plow and follow Christ, do you see this fulfilled in his life? Was he persecuted for righteousness' sake? Yes, he was crucified. And Luke tells us in chapter 14 that Jesus said if we're going to follow Him, we've got to deny ourselves. We've got to be willing to take up our cross and follow Him. Elsewise, we cannot, we cannot, we cannot be a disciple of Christ. Blessed are they that are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now that's out there. That's they. That's them. Oh yeah, you know, those that are persecuted, yeah, the kingdom of heaven is theirs. We'll agree with that. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you. They're going to mock you. They're going to make fun of you. With their words, they're going to devour you. They're going to revile you. They're going to persecute you. They may even go so far as to molest your person and physically harm your being. Nobody should ever have to worry about that, should they? No, and thank God as Americans we have means to protect ourselves in different things. But things happen to Christians. All around this world, Christians are facing persecution, especially in some of the darker areas. The 1040 window is still dark. Things are happening in China at a rapid rate. 
Turkey, Islamic countries. God's people are being molested. They're being maligned. And he goes on to say they're, they're going to make fun of you. They're, they're going to molest your person. They're, they're going to physically take you and arrest you and, and lay their hands on you and hurt you physically. Not only that, they're going to falsely accuse you. They will have no qualms about breaking the ninth commandment. Thou shalt, bear not, uh, thou shalt not bear false witness. It's for His sake. Note that. This isn't just for any reason. This is for Jesus. When you're in that place, He gives this encouragement. Hold back evil. Be salt. You are salt. Don't lose your savor. Remember Paul prayed. Or he asked the Philippians, excuse me, to pray for him that he would be bold to speak as he ought to speak. Even the Apostle Paul was prone to go on autopilot, I would guess, and say, you know what, it'd be easier if I just kept my mouth shut right now. He said, pray for me that when the time comes, and I know that this is a salt occurrence in my life that I need to season what's happening here, that I would speak boldly as I ought to speak. There came a day when the Apostle Paul stood before the governmental leaders of his day, and he said, I looked around, no man stood with me, but the Lord was with me. In those times, God's people need to be praying. If you don't have a missionary prayer list, and if you're not praying for for preachers of God's Word in particular, those that are out there on the front lines dealing with this, I would encourage you, maybe you need to work on that prayer list and get serious about going to God for them, that they wouldn't close their mouth when the time comes, that they would speak as they ought to. I would appreciate your prayers, especially when I work down in the Capitol, because there are many times where I think, I mean, I'm just, I'm groping for wisdom. Lord, how much do I say? Am I going to bulldoze in here and, and do damage to the cause of Christ? I don't want that. But at the same time, I don't want to muffle and I don't want to, to hinder the light that you're trying to pierce this darkness. And so all the pastors in our state and around this country pray that they would be present. Because if salt's not there, it's not going to preserve anything. Pray that Christians would show up and be a voice. See, we can pray for that. But if we're following Jesus like we should, there's going to come a time when we're talking about the bread and butter there. It might come in your classroom. We're talking about the possibility of future you know, plans changing here if things don't go right when you open your mouth and say you're going to stand on God's Word. <laughs> I don't, maybe I shouldn't share this because you can't believe everything you read on the Internet, right? But I heard that there's a list at CU Boulder of... It's of things that are not allowed to be said on campus. I read through some of those lists and I'm going, oops, 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 oh, uh, I guess I better not visit there because I probably won't be able to keep my foot out of my mouth. I mean, just some, some very ludicrous things. One of them was, now again, maybe this isn't the case, but what was, what was reported as not being allowed to be said there, to make sure that's clear, what was reported as not being allowed, he said there was something as simple as, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know, maybe that's not true. I hope it's not. I pray that that's not accurate, that this was, you know, something that just got twisted on the internet somewhere along the way. But 
And I think people are going to read that and just believe it without verifying it. If you'll be a disciple that's worth your salt, and friend, you will let your light shine. This is something you must do. Jesus is not going to, to do this for you. He's told you to do it. In fact, this is the imperative that's here. Let your light, that's a command, let your light shine. So if you muffle, if you put your light under a bushel, then you're not obeying the command of Christ. And you will give an account for that and, and hang your head. Salt and light metaphors. They teach us about Christian responsibilities. It shows us, I mean, salt and light. These things show us that there is a distinction, there is a fundamental difference between Believers and non-believers, between disciples and those who don't follow Jesus, there is a difference. And this runs basic to everything Jesus is talking about in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Christians are different. Do you see that? He says, ye are. Get to the right verse here. Verse number 13. Ye are. Verse number 14. Ye are. You can't change what you are. Positionally, this is what the Lord has done for you and saved you. He calls us to be different. This is a responsibility that we have to take seriously. Lord, put that distinction on me. Don't let me get muddied with everything else that's out there. Let me stand out as different. We have to see our Christian responsibility really has two parts to it. Salt, when you think about salt, it's largely negative, right? And you've got to have the negative and the positive. So the negative aspect would be the salt. There's some positive things about salt, I get that. But mostly it's negative. You know, holding back corruption, preserving, uh, burning, you know, salt is salt. Light, on the other hand, is, is more positive. And so this is the outwardness. So both of these are, uh, you can't really uh, you can't really see them in action. Like, if you take salt and you pour it out on your table, it's not going to start jumping around and, and, and moving and doing stuff. It's, it's, it's static. It just stays right there. But it does something. It works because of how God created it to. Light. We see it because God's given us the faculty to. Light is amazing. And light pushes darkness back. We, we don't even we know all there is to know about light. We still haven't found that out yet. But this is, this is what God says. God is light. The first thing that He created is light. In Genesis 1-5, God said, let there be light. And then He created you know, the sun and the moon. And, and so all of these are illustrations around us in creation of how we can reflect Christ to others. And as we're lamps... You know, uh, here it talks about you know, the candles and things. In verse number 15, neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Uh, if you do some some Bible background research, uh, I do agree with the candle aspect here, so I'm not I'm not uh, going against that. But when I was in Jerusalem, I was I was able to find a lamp, and in the days of Christ. The candle that he's referencing there would be a little bowl, right? So get this picture in mind. It would be, you could fold it out of a leaf even, and then you put a wick on the end of the leaf, and you pour oil in there, and, the, and you light the wick of the candle, 
And so candles good. We understand the same purpose with our candles. We light the wick and the light shines. Well, their candles in these days would be a lamp. And I've got a lamp that I got from Jerusalem that's uh, verified and all of that stuff by the Jerusalem archaeological people and all of that. So, uh, But it's, it's actually dated from the time of Christ uh, in Jerusalem. And I should have brought it because if you had that lamp, you, know, you put it on a stand and the light goes forward. When you think about the churches of Revelation, those lamp stands, you have the seven lamp stands and you have these little lamps sitting on top of each one of those stands, the lamp does not produce the light. Please tell me you understand that. Because if you don't, then you're going to miss it. You might wind up a Mormon. I don't know. <laughs> I want to be kind to our Mormon friends. But the lamp does not produce the light. You have to put the oil in the lamp. You have to have the wick in the lamp. The lamp is simply a vessel. The candle is merely a vessel. Right? The oil is the Holy Spirit. When you're full of the Holy Spirit, then the light of Christ can shine. Now what Jesus is saying is, wouldn't it be ludicrous to take and... I mean, please don't go home and try this, okay? Light a candle and go stick it under your bed and you call the fire department for crying out loud. This is just ludicrous. We wouldn't do this. We wouldn't put it under a bushel. And uh, maybe, you know, people today have a hard time understanding what a bushel is. I know what a bushel is. I grew up in Georgia. we got plenty of bushels around there. It's a big basket, you know, a big, a big, a big bowl kind of thing. And he says, you wouldn't put that lamp underneath a bushel. What good would that do? No, the purpose of that, the reason why it's even lit to begin with, is to help others see these are just simple concepts, aren't they? But boy, don't we need to be reminded of them? Where have I been dim? Where have I not uh, been helping others to see and navigate this dark world? Where is my light dim? Where is my salt losing its savor? Where am I not fulfilling the Beatitudes? Because that is what's going to hinder and damper very simply, Jesus says, disciples are the salt of the earth in verse number 13. Salt to preserve and light to guide. D.L. Moody said they're both silent in action, but great in effect. Silent in action, but great in effect. There's a danger, Jesus mentions. You are in danger of losing your savor. Let the text stand. Okay, let this verse mean what Jesus meant it when he said it. Salt in this context, Jesus says, this kind of salt is in danger of losing its savor. Now, if you do some background research, you'll find out that sodium chloride can never stop being sodium chloride, right? Scientifically, we understand that. But much of what would be salt in their mind would come from areas that like the Dead Sea. They would have salt blocks that they would use in their kitchen for seasoning that my understanding is they might last 15 years and then you know all the use of that of that seasoning is done so then they, they cast it out. There's another kind of salt that uh, was talked about in one of the encyclopedias I read that comes from the Dead Sea area and it has a lot of other things mixed in with it, not just sodium chloride. 
The sodium chloride then is the first to evaporate off, right? It's the first to disappear. So all you're left with is this white residue that looks like salt, but it's good for nothing but road fodder because there's no seasoning to it. I think Jesus said what he meant and meant what he said. If you're a disciple, are there not things that could hinder you seasoning others around you? Could you not, if you're salt, in a metaphorical sense, could you not lose your ability to season others around you? Yes. There's a real danger. Do you recognize the danger? Are you taking the appropriate steps in your life to make sure you are living the Beatitudes as best as you can? Striving to be like Him. Leaning on His Word. There's a danger. Okay, if, if this danger happens, if what we're fearing occurs, then the first consequence he says is that you're good for nothing. I didn't say that Jesus did. Read it. It's literally word for word. You are good for nothing as a Christian. Don't take that to be belittling. Take that to be reprimanding, if anything. If you're in danger, and this has occurred and you've lost your Savior, then what good are you doing? I think old Vance Havner had a message he preached on. What good are you? What good are you as a Christian? I think is how he put it. The first consequence. Garden seeds never become vegetables, old Havner said, by remaining in their pretty packages. I mean, you garden, you get those packages of seeds. You ever have garden variety or packages of seeds? No. No, you've got to empty it out into the dirty old ground, he said. It's got to die and come up again. Except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. We Christians, he said, can become so clannish that we lose contact with the very world we're meant to influence. Nowadays, we have our own schools. Probably not Christian schools. We have our own recreation. This was probably back in the, in the 50s and 60s when he was preaching. Recreation, hotels, insurance companies. These are all Christian you know, things that he was talking about. Oh, this is good, but we run, but we can run clear off the reservation and forget that we're the light of the world and a light is needed in a dark place. Instead of salt permeating the world around us, we can be content to sit in our salt cellars on Sunday morning, far removed from a needy and decaying humanity. And so dainty and fastidious that we wouldn't touch a dying world with a 40-foot pole. I love old Vince Havner, how he put things we're willing to be missionaries after the world's been disinfected. But we're the salt to disinfect it. Jesus mixed with publicans and sinners. We're not going to have much effort on this evil world sitting in religious meetings all dressed up unless we go out to minister. Salt in a salt shaker is of no earthly use. Only when it gets out of the shaker is it effective. None of us likes to be rubbed into a decaying society. It goes against the grain. Only the love of Christ and a love for souls can overcome our natural distaste for unpleasant situations. On the other hand, too many Christians are not only in the world, but of it. So mixed with it that instead of their salting the world, the world is spoiling them. It's always one or the other. To change the figure, we are, as Alexander McLaren says, either a hammer or an anvil. One or the other. We lose our savor, we become insipid. That's the first consequence. You can lose your savor. The second consequence, he says, is that you can be cast out, trodden underfoot of men. 
The word cast out, I think it's going to cause some ears to perk up in this day because in the synagogue, they had very stringent uh, rules. Remember, just go look at John chapter 9, the blind man that Jesus healed, his parents were afraid of getting cut off from the synagogue. And there were varying degrees that they imposed upon these excommunications, by the way. So when Jesus says this word, I guarantee you some ears were perking up. He says, I can be cast out, trodden under foot of men, trampled on. Uh, that's what Jesus said. There was a, an incident that's said to have occurred in a totalitarian country where the official church existed only under government oversight. Sounds a lot like China today. In this case, the state secretary for church affairs was a medical doctor as well as a brilliant pastor. Oh, wouldn't that be wonderful to have more people like that in some of these places, in some of these countries? One day he was called before the high officials who wanted him to be more repressive of Christians. And this is getting out of hand. We need to repress these people. And so he comes in, and this is what he says. I know you gentlemen wish to interrogate me. But first, may I say something? You know I'm a medical doctor. As a doctor, I know the importance of salt in the human body. It should be maintained about 2%. If it's less, a person gets sick. If it's eliminated altogether, he'll die. Now, Jesus Christ has said Christians are the salt of the earth. And then he paused. That's all. And now, gentlemen, what is it you wish to say to me? He was dismissed, according to the account, without further comment. I think they got the point. Like salt, a believer's testimony should season, shouldn't it? Jot down if you're taking notes, Colossians chapter 4 and verse number 6. Like salt, a believer's testimony should purify. Jot down 1 Thessalonians 4.4 4 and go look that up. Like salt, a believer's testimony should never lose its savor. We need to maintain that. And like salt, a believer's testimony, I like this one, should create thirst. I gave you an illustration some weeks ago about a, a little girl at Sunday school that everybody was asking, you know, what about salt? She popped up and said, I don't know what salt does. Salt makes you thirsty. She got it. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. Jot that down. Are we creating thirst? I'll close with this, and we'll wrap our time up here thinking about salt and light and what we ought to be for Christ. If you were to evaporate, evaporate a ton of water, so we've got one ton of water, and we're going to evaporate that from the Pacific Ocean. You're going to wind up with approximately 79 pounds of salt, according to the report I read. And uh, if you've got a ton of water from the Atlantic Ocean, that would yield you about 81 pounds of salt. We're talking about evaporating the water, getting the salt. So Pacific Ocean, about 79 pounds. Atlantic Ocean, you'd wind up with about 81 pounds. From the Dead Sea, you'd get almost 500 pounds pounds of salt in one ton of Dead Sea water. I can attest to that. I don't know how many pounds of salt I floated on, but it was it almost felt oily when you touched it. And it was just, it's different. I can't even I can't even explain it. But it's not oil, you know, it's it's just salty, very, very salty, salty water. And you can float and read your newspaper on top of the water. Five hundred pounds of salt. So as these statistics demonstrate 
the Earth's bodies of water vary greatly in the degree of their saltiness. Now, they all have salt in them. Even brackish water has salt in them. Well, this is a thought I had. Maybe I should just keep to myself, but I can't now because I've told you what goes through my brain. I'm thinking about Mormonism, you know, heading over to the Salt Lake City, Utah. I just kind of compare that with a brackish kind of Christianity. You know, it doesn't really satisfy. I don't want to get some more thirsty. Okay, that's just... That can be edited out later, I think. Yeah. 500 pounds, yeah. So, bodies of water vary greatly in their degree of saltiness. I would say so do Christians. Wouldn't you? Some Christians seem to be more salty for Christ than others. We are salt. We don't get more or less of the Holy Spirit. We can quench Him, we can breathe Him, but we have all of Him in us when we get saved. But how much of Him runs over, that determines how much savor we have, perhaps. We're the salt of the earth. So as we leave here today, and you get along with the Beatitudes, like I asked you to earlier, I'm going to take you serious on that. And you're going to sit down sometime in your quiet time this week and go through these Beatitudes. I mean that. Don't just take it as part of the Sunday morning message. and Do some business with these verses. And really pray and ask God. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Lord, what is my salt content? How salty am I for you? How much of my light is going forth? Check your salt content. Are you the kind of person that others like to be around? Is your conversation pure? Do you keep your promises? Are you characterized by God's goodness? Why do we need this? Because there, there's a whole world of lost people around us that need the living water that Christ can give. And we can show them as they listen to us, as they hear us, as they watch us, what do they see? What do they hear? Is it the precious words of life that lead them to the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ died, was buried and rose again for them, according to the scriptures? Or is it just another conversation like they hear everywhere else in the world? Is there a distinction? Will you take that challenge, Christian? If you set your hand to the pot and you're following Jesus, will you, during this invitation time, just make a commitment to yourself and the Lord, nobody else, just to you and the Lord, and say, I heard you loud and clear this morning. I'm going to set aside some time. In fact, Lord, when I come and pray during this invitation, I'm going to put it on my calendar right now. I'm going to calendar this so that I don't miss it this week because it's vitally important. And I will sit down with the Beatitudes, and I'm going to go through them one by one prayerfully. When I'm not rushed, when I, can, when I can have time, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to listen to you. And I'm going to ask you, Lord, this is what I want your prayer to be. I'm going to ask you, Lord, to show me where my salt content needs to be greater. Show me where my light needs to shine further for Jesus. Don't go out here and put this under a bushel now. Don't you do that. You let the Lord lead you. And I guarantee you, He'll guide you to somebody that needs Jesus this week.